Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 41 of my podcast, I Stand Strong. As always, I am Teddy, coming at you from my bear cave in the concrete jungle of the beautiful Midwest. Um, yeah, I guess I'm just going to jump right into it. Um, today, for, for some reason, I just wanted to talk about some of my favorite comic book creators that have... Uh, that are out there and, you know, some of the works they've done because comics have kind of been a big, big part of my life, especially in the last, like, I'd say like 10 to 12 years. Um, but they, I think they've always kind of been there from, you know, remember, uh, my parents went out of town at one point in time and my, somebody that worked with my dad came and stayed with us and she brought over an Excalibur comic. And to this day, I cannot figure out which issue of Excalibur it was. I'd love to just to grab it. Um, just for the memories. Um, you know, there's that one. And then the infamous death of Tony Stark or yeah, it is the death of Tony Stark and comics from back in the day. Like that me and my buddy drew used to like, we had a single copy of this comic and we used to like find creative ways of giving it back and forth to each other. Um, but anyways, that's off topic already. Um, yeah, so we're just going to talk about some comic... Uh, I guess these are writers, not necessarily creators. I might I might throw some artists in here as I, uh, as I go, because there are definitely some good artists. Or maybe I'll save the artists for another, uh, another time, because I could definitely see me and Tony going for a while on good comic book artists and what, what makes certain ones stand out and why some of them just kind of, you know, don't work in certain contexts. But, um... Anyways, okay, so uh, I am going to start with one that could be seen as contra- well controversial be- because of his, like some of the stuff he puts in his books, but to me, he's one of the best writers out there, and nine times, you know, nine times out of ten, if you see a, like anything to do with the Punisher, it's based on something he did, um, and that is... Garth Ennis, um, you know, he is, I think he's, Ooh, I'm probably going to feel bad. This. I know he's either Irish or Scottish. I can't remember which one off the top of my head and I did not look it up, but I mean, it's, it's irrelevant. Um, but yeah, I mean, he is the, the beautifully twisted mind behind such books as preacher, which is still, you know, one of the top three greatest books ever written, if not on the day, my favorite book ever written, a comic book ever written. Um, and you know, the boys, the, the comic that the, uh, Amazon prime show is loosely based on. Um, cause yeah, that, that show really, I mean, the characters have same names and whatnot. And the, the general theme is the same, but there's a lot of differences from what I remember from the last time I read it. But then he, you know, like, but like I said, then he has his run on Punisher, which is, um, I actually want to say most of them were under Punisher Max. Cause it was like, there was a point in time when Marvel did this whole Max line, which was like, if you saw the Max logo on there, you knew it was, it was adult oriented. Um, but yeah, like the the Thomas Jane Punisher movie, heavily influenced by uh, by Garth Ennis's run. Um, aspects of the TV show they did on Netflix was very you know like it, like I said the, you can't really 
you can't really look at Punisher the way he is in a in a modern day context without owing everything to what Garth Ennis did because he's the one who moved him you know moved him into a much darker direction because I know like when he first debuted I want to say it was in Spider-Man and he was kind of just this from what I remember I mean I, don't don't quote me 100% on this but from what I remember he was pretty much just like a guy that was hired to come in and kill the Spider-Man um and yes but you know, Garth Ennis brought it in, and I want to say Garth Ennis is mostly responsible for the origin story of you know him being a you know a, a ex Vietnam vet who comes back to you know his wife and kids, and his his wife and kids. I think it was while he was a, like while he was still. Uh, away for Vietnam, witnessed a mob hit, and just as he's getting back, essentially they get killed by the mob, and this throws him off the deep end because he's was an extremely efficient killer, and he decides he's going to use those skills, a la you know Liam Neeson and Taken, to basically exact his revenge, but then continue it past the people who wronged him into just anybody that he deems bad that's getting away with you know that's gonna get away away from the law kind of thing and so yeah so his his run on punisher is very like essential to me like i i've i've got the first volume like the first it's not really an omnibus because it's not big enough to be an omnibus but it is a a big collection of like the first i think it's like two or three arcs of his punisher max run and it is just Great, but like I said, because it's Garth Ennis, it is very bloody, a lot of bad language. You know, it's very adult, but it is, man, it is great. And then, but then you get into some of the side stuff he did with it, um, like Punisher Born, which goes back to, you know, the time of I think it's like just as it takes place, right, like the first week that uh, Fr- Frank Castle is in. Um, in Vietnam and like what shaped him to be who he is kind of thing. Um, or like what, like what changed him to the point that when he came back and his wife and kids were killed, he was just such a vicious killer that he could become the Punisher. Um, but then there's, you know, like I say, he did a long run on Punisher. I cannot pretend to read it all, but like, yeah, Garth Ennis though. I mean, it's like, and then he, you know, he's, He's also very rangy, though, because, I mean, yeah, he did Punisher Max, which is, you know, I you could kind of look at it at, you know, it's for the big three, you know, Marvel, DC, or Image, and it's for them, but it's still his thing. But then you have stuff like, you know, like his Preacher run, where, you know, it's a Western of sorts mixed with an untraditional love story mixed with a story of faith, Um I mean, there's not not a, like really a great accurate way of representing what preacher is. Um, and just a side note: don't bother watching the TV show. The TV show I saw like part of the first season, and it was bad. And it was unfortunate because I liked the actors that were in it, but it just didn't. It couldn't do the story justice. And I knew it even when they announced it. Like, there's no way you can do a story about a preacher who 
is, you know, up giving his, you know, well, it's really kind of an apology at the church on a Sunday morning because the following night he was drunk as drunk, drunk as shit and, you know, said a bunch of shit he really shouldn't have. And then the next day, everybody's at church, you know, and he's, he's fixing to apologize and a half angel, half demon being strikes a church, killing everybody in his, in the church, except for him and leaving him the power that they refer to as the word of God. He tells you to do something, you will do it. So for example, there is a point where he tells a guy to go fuck himself. And the guy literally, I mean, they don't show it, but they insinuate how he cut off his own penis and proceeded to fuck himself. So yeah, um, real rangy, but that does not do justice to what preacher is. Preacher is probably, like I said, some days it is the best book ever written. Some days it's, 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 but it's never out of my top three. Um, but then he also does, um, I have not read any of them, but I've always wanted to track down some of his, uh, like war story ones. Cause I know he does a lot of stuff and I want to say that's actually the title of the, the overarching book is called war stories, but he does like mini series. So he has like ones that talk about female, uh, female pilots in world war two and you know, stuff like that. And I've always heard it's really good. Um, and I know a lot of people really like his stuff with crossed and some of his like stuff that really let him, and this sounds really crazy considering, you know, preacher, but, um, you know, some of the stuff that really allowed him to go crazy. Um, I've never read any crossed, but I did know several people who were deep into the book and it was very, very questionable, um, by a lot of standards. Um, so yeah. Um, Oh, and then another one to briefly mention that this man wrote that was really good is he did two runs or like two arcs in a book based on Nick Fury. Uh, he did one that I think was just called Fury Max, which is kind of just, you know, I don't really remember that one real well. I remember I've read it all and I really liked it, but then he did one called My War, My War Gone By with that's a Fury Max, um, which is basically just Fury realizing he's at a point in his life where there's no need for somebody who does what he does. Um, so it's really kind of a story about this man who's known nothing but, you know, being a badass military like spy kind of thing, I guess. Um, but you know, be, being a fixer maybe is a good way of putting it. You know, like a country needs needs something dirty done, you bring in fury. Um, but yeah, it's him kind of realizing that now the you know it's right at that point in time where people were deciding that the real wars were going to be fought in uh, boardrooms and legislature and not in battlefields. Um, and it's this really great story. It it really is a beautiful story of you know, him trying to find his place in this, you know, new world, so to speak. Um, sorry. Got to get some coffee. Um, okay. And since it'll just dovetail real, real nicely 
out of this one because the next writer I'm going to talk about actually did his own fair share of Punisher Max, um, as well as other books, and that is Jason Aaron. Um, I guess I'll start by talking, but yeah, I'll just start with talking about his uh, his Punisher Max kind of like carries the the general idea of what Garth Ennis was doing and takes it to a different, you know, takes it further. Cause like there's a heartbreaking moment where it reveals the last thing that Frank Castle ever said to his wife. And I am not going to say the words on here one, because I will have to set my head on fire if I say it out loud, because it is such an emotional moment, but it also does some interesting, like it brings in a really, uh, there's like a really great fight between, um, Frank and uh, Bullseye that takes place all throughout this uh, construction site. So like Bullseye who can turn anything into a weapon and a man that is just a force of nature um, essentially fighting throughout this, this construction site. But you know, it also uses like it's, I think it's four trades worth of a run and the big bad over the whole thing is Kingpin, and it really works. And I, I'm, I'm one of those people who thinks Kingpin can either really work or really suck sometimes in comics. So, but I'm happy to say this one is just awesome. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of his, his that's his Punisher Max run. Like, I, I really don't know what to say without spoiling some of the stuff, it because it's really one of those ones you do need to experience, in my eyes, if you're going to, if you like Punisher. So, uh, <clears throat> but Jason Aaron also is responsible for, I will say the best mo one of the, no, I will, I will say, whew, I don't know. It's between him and J. Michael Straczynski on who has like, you know, they're kind of neck and neck to me on the top for like the top two, top one of modern Thor runs. But Jason Aaron is responsible for, the Gore the God Butcher storyline. And like really most of Thor Love and Thunder, the movie, has heavy influences in the Jason Aaron run because Gore the God Butcher was his thing. Um, he was on the book when they made Jane Foster uh, the new Thor for a while. And, you know, the old Thor was unworthy, so he couldn't wield the hammer, even though it was stupid why he couldn't wield the hammer. You know, the hammer chooses Jane Foster. But the whole story with, you know, spoilers for Love and Thunder, if you haven't seen it coming up, I'll give you a minute to, to pause if you don't want to, so you can stop and watch it. The whole thing with her having cancer, but still wielding the hammer, even though every time she, you know, basically suits up as Thor, it completely undoes all the chemotherapy she's doing. So basically she's killing herself by being the hero. Um, all that came from Jason Aaron's run on Thor. And it is really good. Um, and I want to, he, he did some, I mean, like there was a gar, uh, Gore, the God butcher story, which was like instantly tied into the God bomb story, which is kind of really is the whole Gore, the God butcher story. But once that ends, you do, you know, it, I think it pretty much goes into the Jane Foster stuff. And there is some really good stuff with the Jane Foster. Like, I remember when they first announced Jane Foster was going to be, or they first announced the new female Thor. Worst kept secret, by the way. I mean, I don't know 
anybody who thought it wasn't going to be Jane Foster, really. But they did it well. They, you know, they, they kept it hidden for a, a brief amount of time. They didn't make it overstay its welcome like a lot of people feel they did with uh, Red Hulk. <clears throat> um, but, you know, it's, you know, the, the Jane Foster stuff he did was really, really good. But in many ways, I feel Jason Aaron's magnum opus to me is a book he did for, was it Vertigo? It might have been Image. Um, anyways, I, I don't know. I can't remember who he published it, but, but called Scalped, which is kind of a... You can kind of look at it as a, like almost like a Sopranos or a Goodfellas on an Indian reservation. Because um, it, it's basically about this... This guy who, uh, I want to say his Dashel, Dash is his name, I believe. I can't remember his last name. But he comes back to the Indian reservation he grew up on after years of being away. And it is just completely corrupt. So, you know, he is kind of, you know, maneuvering his way through life on this reservation. But you also find out that, you know, he was very troubled as a kid there. And that's why he ran away. Um, never really knew his father. But, you know, and I'm I'm just really brushing over, like, the story. I mean, I'm not doing it. I, I don't feel like I'm doing it justice talking about the story. Because there's a lot of stuff I don't really want to... Well, I mean, I guess it's it's early. It's revealed pretty early in the book that he's actually working for the FBI and he's, he's been put on this, uh, you know, sent back to the reservation to take down like the chief, essentially like the chief of the tribe, I guess. Um, Oh, I cannot remember his name now. This, this tells me I need to reread the book because I'm forgetting names and that bothers me. But, uh, anyways, who this, the guy that is like the head of the reservation, I don't think they ever really call him the chief, but um, you know, he's he's maneuvering to put in a casino, but it's also heavily influenced that there's probably a lot of berries hidden, bodies hidden underneath this you know, where he wants to put this casino, so to speak. Um, so he sent back to this reservation to basically take this guy down. And it is a really, really good hard-boiled you know like just drama like i mean it, it's like i said it does have like to me it has very very big ties to like scorsese kind of movies or you know that kind of thing where you've got the the crime element you've got the guy that's like in in over his head possibly um and yeah so it's it's a book that i think you know it, like it doesn't it doesn't overstay its welcome it's, I want to say like 50 issues, but it is a dense 50 issues. And there's, there's points in that book that do get really hard to read, but, and, you know, and, and it's a beautiful story. I, I I'm a sucker for one that has like a, a book that has a really, really beautiful story to it. Even if it is beautiful in a very seedy, grimy way, like scalped is, <clears throat> Okay, let's see. Who do we go to next? You know, I'll I'll, th I'll throw this one in just because uh, she is my f probably my favorite female writer 
out there. And I've actually been, you know, oh, and, and to Jason, everybody, like, I'll, I'll, cause it ties in with what I was just thinking about my next one is like, I've actually met, I met him once um, at a con, nicest guy. Jason Aaron was so nice. Like I remember, I brought both my hard bat, uh, hardcover copies of the Gore, the God Butcher, and the God Bomb series. You know, the trade, the hardcover trades of them, and he signed them both. And you know, we had a small conversation because he had a line, which I was really happy to see. But nicest guy, and I really wish I could have had more time to talk to him. That would have been awesome. <clears throat> but anyways, uh, so this one is another one that I've met. Um, and she is just awesome when, when the companies give her the freedom that she needs. Cause I really think the problem with some of her stuff, unfortunately is the, you know, the, the editors get a little bit too hands-on with her stuff. And that's Gail Simone. Um, you know, she had, when, DC launched the new 52. She came back. She came in and wrote uh, Batgirl for God. It had to have been like at least the first, you know, like six arcs, I'd say maybe, maybe less than that. I don't know. Um, but she came back and she brought Barbara Gordon back into the bat, you know, the Batgirl suit. And it was a good story, but you could definitely tell that she wasn't being given the, the right to, ex you know, to, the rights to like just really do what she wanted to do with it, um, which is why most of the stuff I'm going to talk about, like most of the things that I'm gonna, I'm about to start listing, that really bring you know bring out like what she can do, are ones where you know you could definitely tell editorial kind of took a step back and just trusted her to do what she does. Um, so like for example, she did a book. It was just her and the artist pretty much, I want to say they kickstarted it, um, called leaving megalopolis, which is kind of like a superhero to story told from the, at every man, uh, point of view, except for in this particular case, all the superheroes have been corrupted by something and are like, they have to kill every now and then to like keep, like I, I don't remember, I don't think it ever fully explains like why it's like what it is about killing that keeps them going. But like all of them are completely warped from what they once were. And you do get visions of what they once were, but it's just a, it's a really interesting story. Like I said, told from this group of people that are just trying to get out of this city, uh, megalopolis and the, you know, the justice league kind of group is, basically insane and just murdering people if they can find them. Um, and it is, it's good. It's a really good, like, um, kind of like subject piece. Like each of the, all the characters are like very well developed. Um, the characters you're following. Um, I really can't say the same about some of the, the hero, like the, the twisted versions of the heroes, because, you know, they're really kind of, uh, like side story in the long run to me. Like you get little bits about like their their origins and stuff like that, but you don't really get, you know, they don't. It, it's it's not needed to have them have these really really flushed out stories just because really they're kind of just a driving force for this group of survivors. Um, and yeah, so like I remember I bought the I bought the trade of that. 
not too long ago, actually, because um, Dark Horse put it out after they, I think they they kickstarted it, got it made, but I don't think it ever came out on like in issues. I think it only came out in the trade, and I think Dark Horse agreed to like release it wider, you know, like give it a wider release. Um, and it was, that was a really good, it was a really fun read. And I really hope that at some point in time, her and, um, I believe the artist was Jim Cal- Calafieri or like, I'm probably massacring that name. Um, but anyways, those, those two, I really hope they get back together and do, uh, like a second volume. I'd love to see more in this world. Um, but there's one book she did for DC where, um, she's done a couple runs, like a couple different runs on it. And it is amazing because like clearly because she was working with characters that like for the most part, weren't really like a list. They let her kind of have her, you know, like let her have her fun with the characters. And that's a book called secret six, which is about this group of villains that, or like, like, C-list villains that uh, live together, like essentially end up living together in this this kind of like house. But then they're kind of they're in a way they're a super team. But um, in the most like the the best run she did with it though, I think the highest uh, tier character she really had was Bane. But at this point, Bane was not using the the venom. He didn't wear the mask most of the time. And he was, so he was more of just this really intellectual, really buffed up, but very like fatherly kind of character to, um, one of the other, you know, characters in this team, uh, the daughter of Vandal Savage, uh, I think her name was Scandal Savage, which I remember thinking wasn't very original. Um, but yeah, so it's, you know, this six, as they say, like six, like C-list Oh no! I think actually, wait a second. I want to say Deadshot was in there too. So I guess Deadshot is a little high. Is probably right up there with Bane as far as being like not A list, maybe breaking like maybe B list at best. But I'd really say they're C list team. You know, C list characters. Um, because of, yeah, but you know, the, but him and Dead. So Bane and Deadshot are the two big names. I always forget Deadshot's in there at first, but um. But yeah, it's like, you know, just uh, once again, a character piece of these, these people interacting and, um, you know, there, there's an arc where Scandal Savage really wants to get her girlfriend back from hell. So they get, uh, essentially a get out of hell free card and they have to go find her to give it to her. Um, but then you have like these, like I said, you have these characters that are extremely obscure like uh i want to say his ragdoll was his name which is a really creepy character looks like he's patchworked from his outfit at least he looks like he's all patchworked together and he wears this really creepy mask and he's a contortionist kind of thing um and like Catman, <laughs> which they make a lot of jokes about Catman being you know just like you know not being very inspired of a character but Really, the the heart of the book to me during that run was the Bane stuff with Scandal Savage. Because I remember there's points where they get pretty deep in the shit. And 
Bane really, you know, like he's he's very adamant about never using Venom again because he doesn't like it. He doesn't like what it does to him kind of thing. And there's a great moment where he basically, it comes down to he has to use the Venom one time to save the group. And it shows it from his perspective when he uses a venom and it's this great image of like, he just like there's all these guys surrounding him and he takes the venom and everybody looks like Batman. And so it's like, he just has to break the Batman. Like that's all he knew kind of thing. And, but at the same time, it's like the fallout of him having to use the venom again. I remember having like a really poignant point to it as well. Um, so okay, so yeah, that's that's secret. I mean, then she did she did a second volume of Secret Six, which I actually have a like a a reproduction of what like her original script for it, and it was really fascinating for me to read the original script to like see how she writes it, kind of thing. Um, but then she also did a really good run on Red Sonia that went for twenty some odd, maybe thirty some odd issues. Um that had like an overarching, like the, it had like kind of like a narration thing going on. Like it was this Sultan or whatever is getting told the story of red Sonia by, I think it's like a, just some, I don't know if it's like a, a slave or a peasant. I can't remember that part, but she's, you know, she, this, this person is telling the story of red Sonia to him. So you're hearing about all these exploits that she's gone through. And I just think that Gail Simone was a good person fit for red Sonia. Um, so yeah, I think that that's all I really got to say about Gail Simone, like read her, read her secret six stuff. If you can get a hint, get a copy of Levy Megalopolis. I think it's a great book and her run on red Sonia, like I said, was just, I think it was, it was really, really good. And I, I wouldn't normally have read red Sonia, but she, you know, her being on there and then the artist team they had to get there. Cause it was through dynamite, I believe who's kind of known for having a house style where, well, this, this person they got in there, their, their house style was not the torp, you know, their, their art style was not the typical house style. So it really worked. I mean, it is, it is a bit cheesecakey at points, but you know, it's kind of what you get with, you know, the Vampirella and the red Sonia kind of books. And now I'm going to talk about one of my favorite writers that I've met multiple times. And every time he's just been so awesome to talk to. And he also is responsible for a book that I'm really hoping gets turned into a Marvel movie at some point in time. Because they're setting in the pieces, whether they know it or not. They could easily do it. And this is the illustrious Jeff Parker. Um... Now, see, I met I met him several times because I used to work at a comic shop, uh, volunteer, and he would be regular. Like whenever they'd have like a a special get together, he'd usually be there, and he was just always so much fun. He was always a pleasure to talk to, nicest guy, down to earth. I mean, and you ever want to see a man's face light up and laugh like with the most infectious laughter? You talk to Jeff Parker and you talk to him about man thing. Oh God, that made like just the idea of him, like his, his, his strange fascination with man, the man thing is just awesome. Um, 
And just for those of you that don't know, Man Thing is like basically Marvel's version of Swamp Thing. Um, and yeah, it. But just calling it Man Thing makes him laugh because like you know it's he's always he. I remember he always made the joke about just you know he always wanted to get his hands on a giant sized Man Thing, which you know just as perverted as it sounds. But man, this man's face would light up and he would laugh so hard talking about Man Thing, and it cracked me up. But he did a run for Marvel that actually had Man-Thing in it called Thunderbolts, which in many ways is basically Marvel's version of the Suicide Squad. It is a group of villains, mostly lesser knowns, um, that were basically being run as like a, you know, a suicide team, for, you know, like as, as a... Like, basically, like, a team that could do what, you know, the heroes couldn't uh, out of the raft, which was, like, a top, you know, which was basically Marvel's version of Bell Reeve, in a way. Um, but the, you know, the, the core group of characters, I remember when this one launched, it was, like, you had Luke Cage was in the field with the team. Like, he was the field team leader. Um, I don't remember the character's real name, but it's, like... U.S. agent was what he went by, and he ran the team from the raft. But then you had these a couple members of the original Thunderbolts, because when Thunderbolts originally launched, it was this new superhero team that ended up actually all being like repurposed villains. Um, so like Baron Zemo was Citizen V, and uh. There's a girl that had like sonic screaming abilities that was her her villain name was Screaming Mimi, but she went by Songbird. And Songbird carries over into this run. Um I wanna say like an there's kind of like an Iron Man ripoff kind of character called uh I think in the early ones he was just Mach 3, but like by the time they do the Thunderbolts where they're a team out of the raft, I think he's like Mach 5 or 6 by then. Um, but anyways, they had a couple members of the original, you know, that original Thunderbolts team, like, stay on to be part of this this team in the field. And it's, you know, it's it's just as much fun as the, the Suicide Squad stuff. But the way he brought Man-Thing in was actually pretty genius because Man-Thing has, like, some really strange abilities. For example, one of his things is like if you show fear in front of him, you catch fire. But the other thing that gives him that made him useful for this team was he could teleport pretty much anywhere. So like really they use man thing more as a means of transportation than like an actual part of the team in a way. And it's kind of fascinating the way he that Jeff Parker worked this in. Um so yeah, his, his run on Thunderbolts is really fun. I remember he he wrote it through uh, Dark Rain. I want to say he took over partway into Dark Rain, and then he kind of like everything after that for a long time until the book got retitled Dark Avengers, um, which... Uh, then they changed up some of the characters, and I think that was where you could kind of feel there's a little more editorial kind of guiding the story, and it hurt it a little bit. 
because you start to have this story with the original Thunder, like the good Thunderbolts team is like jumping throughout time. But then in the present, you've got this new team that is, I don't even remember who all was on it, but it's, it's very like, you know, uh, Hulk's son Scar is part of the team. And so you kind of had like this split narrative going on. It was, it was fine, but I really think the stuff up and before, you know, up until it got renamed Dark Avengers was the better stuff. Um, but I mean, he's, he's written, like, I didn't even write down all the things that he, he wrote that I really liked, but he did a run with Red She-Hulk that was like essentially like a buddy comedy kind of to me of her and uh so it's red she hulk and machine man just kind of like traveling across the country um but then the ones that shocked me because i knew very little about most of these characters was he did a run of the king's watch which was is a kind of like it's a title that got revived which is um what the phantom no, not the, is it the, yeah, the Phantom, uh, uh, more, is it some magician? I can't remember the magician. Oh man, I can't even remember all the members on this team, but it's like a lot of like these like golden age, like, uh, like pulp heroes on this team. And for some reason, I cannot remember who all was on that team. Now, I want to say Flash Gordon was part of the team as well. But it was it's this really strange like group of like four guys. And they're there to protect the world, you know, protect the, the world from evil kind of thing. I want to say it's like Modoc Musician, something like that. It's, it's, um, you know, like, like I said, it, the, most of the characters come from like old, like radio plays and old pulp novel kind of things. Um, but he did this run on King's Watch. I think it only went for, I think it was only like a six or seven issue run, but it was really good. But then his run on as just a straight up Flash Gordon book was really good. Um, probably helped a lot by the fact that they had Evan Shaner on art for it. And he's got a very, like, retro style to me. Like, I, I look at his uh, Evan Doc Shaner's art, and to me, it always makes me think I'm looking at something that's, if not actually from a very good throwback to, like, the the pulpy, you know, pulpy comics of, like, the 20s and 30s kind of thing. He's got a very retro style that really works for it. Um, him and Darwin Cook both have that, have that style. Um but yeah, no, his, his run on Flash Gordon, like, I'm not a huge Flash Gordon fan, but I picked it up because of Jeff Parker, ended up getting the whole, you know, ended up getting the whole thing, um, getting the whole run just because, like, the first issue got me, and I continued with it. Um, but then the King's Watch came later, and I remember, like, the guy that ran the comic shop was telling me, oh, you, you know, you, you've been getting the the uh the flash gordon stuff did you know he's doing this king's watch i'm like i have no idea what that is but sign me up i'll at least get the first issue if the first issue doesn't grab me i'll you know I'll just won't get any more of it and i remember getting king's watch and loving every second of it because it you, you could feel the love he had for the character 
and it 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 just it felt fun. Um, let's see, did I have, no, that's all I have on here as far as the things that he wrote that really really jump out to me as far as like things that have to be read of his. Um, okay, I guess that's bringing me to. My last one, which is an, another guy that was local to the north, that's local to the northwest, and I've I've met a couple times. And talk about another rangy one, um, Greg Rucka, um, another guy that was really fun to have a conversation with because like there was no such thing as having just a regular conversation. Like everything got very very like he had beliefs and he was going to let you know them. Um, well, when it came to comics, like I never spoke anything other than comics with him. So, but like he had his, you know, like if, like for example, he did a really good run on Wolverine. But I remember if you bring up, you know, if you ask him about bone claws or no bone claws with Wolverine, man, you will get the most passionate argument on why the bone claws are complete and other clown fucking clown shoes. And it was so much fun. Like, I mean, you you give him a topic and you might as well just put the apple box down there because he's getting up there and he's going to be, you know, he's going to be testifying to you for probably about 20 to 30 minutes on it. And it was awesome. But anyways, you know, yeah, so he did a run on, on Wolverine that was really good. But the ones that really stand out to me, um, even though I haven't read them in a while and I know they were still going last time I checked was he had a couple books through image that are his own creation um that really let him do what he wanted to do um and that is Lazarus and Black Magic um Black Magic for a long time only had one volume out and I think they did do a second volume but I haven't gotten around to reading it but Black Magic is kind of in a way, it's about a witch policeman. You know, it's she's she is very, you know, she has magical abilities, but she's a detective for. I want to say it's actually Salem, Massachusetts, in Salem, Massachusetts. Um, but it was a it's a really good story, and it has a very good you know the characters like as always in Greg Rucka's books are really 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 deep. Um. But Lazarus is one that needs to be talked about because of not only the comic book itself, but the back matter he builds into this book. Because he has built this world where there's essentially, I think it's like five families run the United States. And all of them kind of have their own specialty. But then because the like these five families run everything, they're also kind of like, rival gangs in a like I won't say rival gangs but like almost like different for fa- uh, factions of the mafia almost where they're kind of always vying for each other's you know each other's what each other have and their land and so you have the you know the the kind of royal families but then you have like I think they call them serfs when they get brought up I can't remember how, how like how it's all broken, but there's a very much like a um, like a class system involved. Like there's the bottom rank, and if you are could be useful to the family in the area that you live in, you can be brought up to like a higher tier, basically, to be like a doctor or whatnot. 
But they call the, like, to me, I've always understood the book is called Lazarus because each family has one family member that is known as Lazarus. It's basically somebody who cannot die. And they're basically like the, you know, if you need some, if you need some serious shit done, they bring in the Lazaruses. And, but for the most part, like the families are kind of at peace in a way, but at the same time, there's also this very deep political intrigue kind of thing of like, maybe these two families are, you know, constantly like talking behind closed doors and maybe they're up to something to try to take out some of the other families. And, you know, even though they're kind of in a a general piece, there's, you know, there are families that dislike each other and really want to take the other family out kind of thing. So it's, it's really big, but the, like you read an issue and you have the comic book, is it like the normal comic book, but then you get to like, maybe the last, like, five or five or six pages, maybe more is just like almost like prose where it's just stuff about like, like sometimes it'll be like a news art, like a newspaper article or something that builds on this world. And there's, you know, the back cover, the back cover of the book is usually some kind of ad for like fake ad for a product that exists in this world. And it is just amazingly deep. Um, like I said, I haven't read it in a little while, I think, because it, it went pretty strong for a while and then it went, uh, it went on like a a hiatus for a little while. Like it just, it, you know, he didn't make any new issues for a while and it went for so long. I think I fell off and I just never got back up on that, uh, back up on that particular horse, unfortunately. So at some point in time, I might have to, I know I've got the, the first two hardcover trades for that one that I got from, uh, like a local podcast I listen to regularly that I wrote into, but um, no, it is it is a fascinating read, and I think that's also his way of probably working out like his feelings on you know the world, <laughs> the world, the 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 wonderful world that we live in, kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that is those are some of my favorite writers. So just to you know. Remind people we have Jeff Parker, the wonderful Jeff Parker, the amazing Greg Rucka, Jason Aaron, Garth Ennis, probably one of my favorite, like probably really always vying for a, a, like a really high spot just because Garth Ennis is always writing something great, um, and Gail Simone. Uh, so yeah, those are my, some of my favorite comic writers. Um, and yeah, so I guess, uh, it's time to, to say that, uh, if you would like to get a hold of me, you know, let me know any comic creators you're interested, you know, you, you, you think I might have left out or maybe you want more suggestions, like me to repeat some of these suggestions for you or give more suggestions from these artists. You can reach me at standstrongcast at gmail.com. So with that, I will say my usual thank you for listening. And thank you to everybody who supports me on this. And I hope you guys have a good, you know, have a good rest of your week. And I will see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. <laughs>